0: How do I ask for help? Because especially if you're somebody who is used to being the problem solver, the the solution provider, you're not used to asking for help. And that's at work and at home. And no one will come to you and say, you know, I think you're working a lot of hours. (laughs) Do you think maybe we should rethink how your work life is doing right now? Mm. Let's talk about that. Like, I know no managers who are going to have that discussion with you on their end. You know, that's something you have to bring to the table.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Fork in the Road podcast. I'm your host, Kathy Galloway, and here we share stories of women forced to choose between leaning into an invested career in corporate America or daring to venture onto an unknown path. On this episode, my guest has built an expertise on working mothers.
0: I'm Suzanne Brown, and I am a strategic marketing and business consultant and a work-life balance speaker, consultant, and two-time author. I'm also a mom to boys and a
1: lover of international travel. Suzanne talks to us about how women can make their careers work for them. She's interviewed literally hundreds of women, myself included, who have figured out how to find balance in whatever way they define balance. She talks to us about how post-pandemic companies have no excuse to understand and support working mothers and the paradigms of our society that make moms' lives so hard these days. Listen for her thoughts on how to ask for what you need, the many ways a career can fit your life, what we're doing wrong to sabotage ourselves, and why now is the perfect time to ask for what you need. Enjoy.
2: Suzanne, I'm so excited to talk
1: to you. I have
2: missed you, friend. I'm glad that we are reconnecting. uh, Even if it's in 2020 in this virtual way, I'm happy to talk to you uh, and reconnect with all the amazing things that you know and that you've been doing and to share that with our listeners. So thank you for being here appreciate you. I'm so glad to be here. And it's a treat. You all
0: can't see her, but I can see her during this recording. <laughs> so that's a bonus.
2: It is a bonus to get to see each other in 2020. It's a, it's I, it's the icing on the cake for sure. So I want to jump right in because um, you are going to bring so much value to our listeners on this topic. Um, as you know, we're, we're really talking to women who are sitting in a corporate job right now, trying to figure out what comes next. It is your sweet spot of your audience. And I think you've done such an incredible job of gathering knowledge and insights about that experience, particularly the mom experience in corporate America. And I want to start with some of the things that you've learned that seem to be general broad stroke themes of, uh, of of what has caused us to be in these forks what is it that is driving women to be in this this moment of time where they're trying to decide where do we go next what what have you been hearing from the women that you've spoken with
0: so the one that that is much more prevalent right now is the fact that these working moms need more flexibility so when you go before remote work it was really that like how do i how do i make it all happen and how can I do that in an easier way? So they wanted more flexibility. They definitely wanted more time with family. That was the thing that they most talked about in the interviews that I did. I want more time with my family. But they were asking for more flexibility. The topic of mental load came up a lot. Mental even load? Though hmm. Mental load. Tell me even what though, is that? I can give you an example. Hmm. But, the, but the way to describe it is... The mental load is the stuff that is behind whatever the task is that you're talking about. In my case, my husband took over cooking for our family, but I still did the meal planning, the shopping, and the meal prep. Mm. So all he did was the cooking. So he would swoop in and he would basically save me like an hour a week which I needed when I was writing my second book. I needed about an hour a day to make that happen. And I was so excited because he saved me one hour a week. Mm. And then I interviewed somebody for my second book that wasn't in the first. And she talked about this whole transferring back and forth and sharing the mental load. And I realized I had not actually released managing this Mm. process. I had only released the task of cooking I was still doing all of the prep. I was still doing all of the thinking. I was doing all of the stuff behind it. Mm. And so when you release the mental load, all of a sudden you get time back. Wow. We You're, can talk about more about that later.
1: Did,
2: did, we've been in this interview for like Three minutes, and you've already blown my mind. Like this is what I was expecting from you, and you are delivering, girl. You're delivering. Yes, we we can come back to the mental lobe, but fantastic. And and similarly on flexibility and time, I think you're right. That's certainly what I'm hearing. Is the very first thing that comes top of mind is, I need more flexibility. I need more time. Uh, and and time for what doesn't even matter really. It's I just need more time away from work. Is that is that right?
0: Yes, so, and, and and I think the other side of that is several of the women who I spoke with for the books and now is how do I find more time for myself? Because I'm completely overwhelmed by everything and everyone. How do I find more time for myself? So that's, that was another theme. And then I think the final one is how do I ask for help? Because especially if you're somebody who is used to being the problem solver, the, the solution provider, you're not used to asking for help. And that's at work and at home. Mm. Yes. And and no one will come to you and say, you know, I think you're working a lot of hours. Do <laughs> you think maybe we should rethink how your work how your work life is, is, is doing right now? Mm. Let, let's talk about that. Like, I know no managers who are going to have that discussion with you on their end. Right. You know, that's something you have to bring to the table. And so I think that's the other thing. We're just not really keyed into mm. asking that. And, you know, we're, we're very concerned about like, I can ask for help. Hmm. You know, it's, it's it's not a, I can ask for help. It's a, I can ask for help. (laughs) Right. Right. Like it's very much a question, not a feeling empowered to make it happen.
2: Yeah. A hundred percent. And I, you know, I think These three things you're talking about, flexibility and time, the mental load and this inability to ask for help. You also have spent a lot of time working on the corporate side and really trying to think about how do you help organizations be better at supporting, empowering, engaging the women and the moms in their workforce. What would you say are some of the drivers on the corporate side that? results in these themes that women are facing? What are they doing wrong? Or what what is it that they can do better? But more importantly, what are they doing wrong that is putting us into these situations? Or Or maybe we're also doing something wrong, right? We probably share some of the blame, <laughs> I would imagine.
0: Well, I think part of it is companies recognize,
2: okay, I need to
0: give more flexibility. But then the question becomes, what does that actually mean? Okay, so what does flexibility look like for my employees or for my team? You know, not even like a whole group of employees, like we're not talking like 500. Maybe it's just a manager who's like, how do I do that for these 10 people who work on my team? So that's part of it. Another layer is there is more of a focus now on this holistic idea of well-being or of flexibility but the challenge is that companies are not yet really understanding what that means. It's not even just, okay, what does flexibility look like? It's okay, so I have employees who are more tuned in to this 360-degree view of well-being, but I only really know about like benefits. <laughs> and that's all I'm giving. So healthcare insurance. And what else am I expected to give? Mm. So companies haven't quite caught up with what it is that employees are wanting more of from their specific employers. So in the past, they looked outside of their employer and now they're like, I'm here a lot of my life. So what else are you, can you give me to make sure that I am holistically doing well? And then I think the other side of this is if you have a male manager, and the reality is that many of us have male managers, right? Like that is not uncommon. And he has a wife who is at home who doesn't have to worry about work-life balance. I mean, all she's focused on is kids. Then how does he even know what you're going through? He's He can't relate. And part of that challenge is we don't have as many women managers, company leaders who can really understand what it's like if you don't have a full time nanny, if you don't have, you know, a family member who you can tap into to take care of your kids. Like, what is the reality of having to deal with daycare or having a sick child who can't go to daycare? Are hmm. all of those kinds of normal things? What does it look like to have to deal with aging parents when you don't have gobs of money to throw at it? Hmm. And so you really just maybe you just don't know. And we want to say, well, how could he not know? Hmm. But
2: why would he? Right. That's that's so important. I think just that unlock. I think for a lot of male managers in the world today to open their mind to that empathy of the employee. And we're obviously talking about moms in particular right now. It's certainly true across the board, regardless of who the employees are. But in 2020 in particular, the workload that and i guess the mental load that we've just learned about that uh that is true for a woman and for a mom has become so evident it has become so acutely felt by everyone involved um that i think that there's a turning point for that for that door of empathy to start to open up but but if it If it isn't open, if it's not there, what is the responsibility, in your opinion, of the corporation to to enable that, to allow that to exist in a way that encourages, you know, happier employees in their organization?
0: So I will say quite bluntly, if a company is turning a blind eye to this, they are doing that on purpose. Mm -hmm. Okay, 2020 has really pulled the curtain back. Hmm. on the realities of working motherhood. That is one of the benefits of this year. And so it has put a huge spotlight on the issue of what does working motherhood look like in the United States?
2: Hmm.
0: And it's in the simple things like, oh, look how many interruptions a working mother has to deal with when she is managing work and trying to manage her child's remote learning. It's in... The the simple reality of if schools are closed, to be quite blunt, daycare option, you know, it is a learning opportunity. Mm. But I mean, we literally count down to the time that our kids are going into kinder. At Mm. least almost every mother that I know does, right? Right. Because you move away from having to have a nanny or finding daycare or some combination of care for your child. And all of a sudden, they are in a true learning environment. Mm. And they have the consistency of care, right? Like, you know exactly what's going to happen from 7.30-ish to 2.30-ish or 3-ish. And so that's the other side. It has pulled back the curtain on the complete dysfunction of care Hmm. for our children in the United States. So that's the other side. So if a company is saying, what do you mean? It is because they are outright ignoring this problem. And I will say right now, if that is what your employer is doing, that is a massive red flag. Hmm. Now, I think on the flip side, being able to to educate your manager can take a lot of different forms. It can there can be like a shock to the system. I heard a story where um, a manager uh, kind of put a put a, a working mother on the spot and made her turn on her camera um, when her camera was off, and he's like, you know. Kathy, how about you give your update? And so when she turned on her camera, she was cleaning a poopy diaper while listening Boy. in on this call. <laughs> and so she changed a you know a dirty diaper and not just dirty diaper, but a poopy mm-hmm. diaper while giving her update. And she did it like a boss.
2: Of course. <laughs> okay. Because that's what we
0: do. <laughs> yes. And so the reality was he never made anyone turn on their screen again. Mm unless they did it. Like he never he never forced somebody to do that. If somebody wanted to be on screen, that was great. And if they didn't, he had no issue with it.
2: Right. He learned that lesson.
0: <laughs> but I think some of that is just introducing the reality that we're in can be that eye opener, right? right. So that your manager maybe that you know, they don't have to deal with any of those things. So it's presented to them and you're still meeting your deadlines, you're still having very satisfied clients. You're holding up your end of the bargain. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to have butts in seats from nine to five in order to make that happen. Like you're, you're showing I can get this all done. Right. And so I I think that that is one of the things that we're doing and that companies are allowing to happen. Like Mm -hmm. they are having a little bit more of that flexibility there, but any company that disregards that is definitely out of touch and would be kind of surprised if they continue to have employees after the economy rebounds.
2: Right. Right. That they'll lose, quickly lose favor. So let's talk a little bit about what are what are we doing? What can we take ownership of in as a driver of the problem? N- not yet talking about how to solve it, but what are the things that we are doing that are enabling these poor working conditions? If I can call it that, I feel uncomfortable with the phrase because it connotes what are true poor working conditions. But nevertheless, what are we doing? What what can we take ownership over and say, I've contributed to this in in this way? What are you seeing?
0: So there are a few things. One, it is the lack of asking for help. I, I can figure it out. I can I can take care of it. I'll make this happen. So we don't ask for help. I know many women, not, not the two of us though, Kathy, but I know many women <laughs> who struggle with saying no, right? Mm-hmm. In whatever form that is, we struggle with just no as a complete sentence. We also have not demanded any kind of, you know, federal programs for this is what it needs to look like to have maternity leave. This is what we need to have as just a cushion for if we have to care for our aging parents, because all of us have that issue. I mean, 10,000 baby boomers turn retirement age every day, and there is no cushion there to help us. And as I said before, like all of a sudden, we as a nation realize the plight of working moms when it comes to care, because care has been really kind of undervalued and it's kind of amazing to have that be undervalued because I know no moms who were sitting at home eating bonbons. Like that's not really what motherhood looks like. We haven't really put a spotlight any on any of those things and we haven't kept other people accountable. So mm more companies are doing things like maternity leave or doing flexibility, but we haven't asked for any of those things ahead of time. You know, it wasn't really until this year when all of a sudden everything came to a head. Right. And then I think the final piece is that element of mental load. Hmm. Right. So we are, we're willing to let somebody do one piece, but then we, we totally manage the calendar for our kids and um, all of our kids activities. Right so it's okay for a babysitter to take our kids to activity A or B and you know our husbands can can help or with whatever aspect but we still manage all the calendar we manage all the play dates we take care of all of the things oh and don't forget that you have an assignment that's in a week and so I went and I already got your poster board we do all of those things for many of us because it comes naturally mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's part of the not asking for help or if it's just literally we don't just Relinquish that mental load. Like we manage it, we we keep it very like close to us.
2: It's like a a badge of courage. Yeah, and let's talk more about that because I think I haven't articulated it in that way with any of my other um, interviewees. But the theme is so strong and so consistent. This theme of wanting to get it all done. The theme of trying to do it all by ourselves. The theme of the running mental list of which mine happened right before this call. I had it in the back of my head. I forgot to schedule for the flu shots. I need to try to figure out when I'm going to do that. Where am I scheduling? I'm going to ask my husband to do it. Just this constant thing that we do as women. And and in one of my other interviews, someone was talking about not wanting to disappoint and this kind of feeling and this sense of responsibility for others in that way. And and uh, you know, I'm curious your thoughts as to we want to get super philosophical or historical or even biological, if you will, is the this kind of the source of the mental load and, and, and where it comes from and why do we have it? And goodness, how do we get rid of it? So that's a lot. So answer all of that for me, please. Thank you. All right. I got it. I got it. OK. <laughs> so I think part of it is for many of us,
0: when that is laid out there as one of the things that you have to deal with having that running mental list, taking on the mental load, we, by design, that has been our example. Our moms did that for many of us. Mm, Yes. And when we go to have children, because that was how it was done before, for many of us, that's the obligation. Well, my mom did this, so this is my job. Not, this has to be done. How are we going to get it done? And so it just, it becomes like a mark in your column. Okay, so this is my responsibility. And I think to add to that, we don't, and this is more so in the U.S. and very much kind of Western philosophy. We have not, um, no, I shouldn't say Western philosophy. This is very much U.S. philosophy. Hmm. We don't really have, the whole idea of taking a village to raise a child, while we might say it, we don't really use it. (laughs) You know, you don't have like, the aunties and the kind of extended family, it really is like you, your kids, your significant other, you're more likely to have like your nanny than you are to have your best friend be involved in the care of your child, right? Even though she's your best friend, you're, you're probably not going to be asking like your aunts or your cousins, or like, you're not going to look at it as like a web, right? You're like, this is my job. This is my cocoon. And I have to take care of this part. And I think that is kind of a societal thing. I think in the U S you know, we're a very individualistic society. Like we're very much about like our, our very core unit and In other countries, you will see more of the blending of like, oh, well, I go to my aunt's house and my cousins are there and this is, you know, this is here. And, and, oh, I was at my grandmother's on Saturday because my mom always goes and does blah, blah, blah on Saturday morning, you know, like, like outside of the United States in Latin America, that's very much the case in many European countries. That's the case. We just don't have that in the U S and so we have this responsibility for exact. It's like, I have these two children. I am responsible for them. This is exactly how I need to take care of this. And so we do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It carries so much, right? It, it affects us in so many ways. I think that's so, that's so true. And, um, And so sad. It's a little sad to think, right, that I think in the end, I think the kids lose out on a lot because we don't have that in our communities here because it's not part of our culture. They they lose out on that experience of the village, as you describe it, right, that so many other countries have access to.
0: Well, and I think if you think about it, if you did have truly more of a village, then Your best friend who sees your child, who your child says, oh, I have an assignment due in a week, will say, oh, well, I can just get that because I'm going to the store anyway. Mm, Exactly. You know, so it's not on our shoulders only. Right. It's more spread around, right? Like you end up having the thing that you do really well that you do more of than somebody else. But okay, okay. That's only one mental load instead of the 20 that you're in charge of. (laughs) Exactly, But I think that that's just not how we have been set up as a society. I I mean, I very much wish that was not the case. And like when I was growing up, there was definitely more of, and I should mention my mother's from the Middle East. And so I had all of these aunties, like Mm -hmm. every one of my mother's friend was an auntie. And it's like. One was really good at this and then another one was really good at that. And then what, you know, and so like you just, you had more of this interaction and to be blunt, there was more free flow of kids going from one place to the next. And so you didn't have to be in charge all the time. Right. Right. right? And so, and as a, as a child, I was also much more independent. Hmm. I, I was entrusted to take money and like go down to the, corner store and like get sweets. Right. Right. You know, like there was more freedom there. Yeah. And, and granted, we don't exactly have that structure in a lot of places in the U S so it's really hard to be like, Hey, why don't you get on your bike and ride three miles? It's like, there aren't as many kind of corner stores as there were. Sure. Um, when I was younger, but you know, again, like, so you have to have the mental load because your kids Don't don't feel that responsibility to get it done.
2: Right. And and you don't have the people to rely on. And then on top of that, I think that is different for overwhelming majority of moms of moms that are aged the way our moms are aged of that generation they also didn't have the kinds of careers that the majority of us have right they right. didn't they didn't either didn't work at all or didn't work in in the kind of a career that was as demanding or as intense the majority of them um right. are as intense as the kind of work that we often do today so so we kept inherited that mental load we inherited that that mothering aspect and then we added on everything having to do with work and with careers and so and so you know we're faced with this situation so we'd love to transition a little bit to okay so how do we dig ourselves out of this hole and and as you know in this in this podcast i'm talking to women who who come to this point and say I'm done with this i've got to jump ship i've got to start something new i'm gonna go find some other career that's a better fit for me that certainly was my story but for many women Either it's not an option or they love what they do and they don't want to jump ship. They want to figure out how do how do I make this thing work? And I think that's what's so brilliant about the work that you've been doing over at Mom Powerman is really trying to help women figure out how do I make this work as a mom? I don't want to give up on the, the career that I love. So tell me a little bit about some again, if we're talking about big picture themes, what are some of the things that women are finding success um doing to, to regain control? Over the way that they are working in the world. Okay, so I think the first
0: one, which can actually be really hard, is a mindset shift. Okay, because if you were to poll people in the United States, they would say mothers should be at home. Hmm. Okay, hands down, they would they would make that statement. But if you looked at the research for girls who had mothers who were working. In whatever form that that was. So it's not like, oh, in, in a in an employee kind of situation or in a um, working full time, like literally worked in whatever that looks like. They were more likely to work, more likely to have a supervisory role and more likely to be paid more. Hmm. OK, so that's on the, that's for girls. Hmm. And then for boys, they are more likely to help out at home like when they, when they get married or, mm-hmm. or live with somebody else, and they're more likely to be engaged as a parent, hmm. okay? And so that is research which is shared often among um, women who are empowering other women. But I feel like that is not a message that is trickling down enough to just a normal working mom who's not doing the research. Mm -hmm. So that's one huge thing to be able to understand my working actually benefits my children in a huge way. And it's not because only of like, I can keep a roof over our head or I can pay for all the fun stuff, right? Like there is literally a benefit to their lives later on. Mm -hmm. So being able to embrace that is a, a way of empowering yourself to feel better about the fact that you're not staying at home. Hmm. Right. Like, oh, is my child going to be okay in the long run? And is this going to be what my child goes to therapy for? Like, no, you are benefiting your child in a huge way. So that's the first thing, which like I said, that could actually be a, a big thing to overcome because it is very much a mindset shift. Mm-hmm. So the second thing is we do need to get a lot better about asking for what we need. Because right now, especially, this is the moment when employers have been probably the most flexible that they've ever been. So this is the moment to strategically ask for what you need. Now you can't walk in and be like this is what I want or I'm out, right? Like right. ultimatums are not a very good idea, but you can strategically ask for those things. You can put forth your your case. Even better, talk to other moms who are on your team in your department and have a conversation together to understand, okay, what are we what are we all dealing with and to be able to go as a group and say this is what we're struggling with. And this is how we need you to address this. That's a very different conversation than how good are your negotiation skills so that you can talk to your manager and fingers crossed convinced him or her to give you what you want. And we don't do enough of talking to our colleagues and being able to understand, okay, Kathy, what are you dealing with? Okay, so I'm dealing with something similar. Okay, let's brainstorm about how we can fix that. Because if you're not coming up with the solutions, you have to accept the solutions that are given to you. And they really might not fit your needs because you have kind of put the ball in their court of here's the problem, I don't have a solution. Then you're stuck, right? Right. And in addition to that, when it comes for asking what you need, I think you might love what it is that you do and realize that I can't do everything that I wanna do. And so my only choice is to leave. But what if you could continue to do it just in a much more scaled back way? So let's say you try something like job share, right, where you continue to do what you love in your role. But then another working mom gets to do that as well. And so you become a team. And that doesn't mean that you're in that for the rest of your career. I mean, maybe you're in that for a few years. Until you get to the point where you're more in a rhythm, where your kids are in elementary school or whatever the case is, right? And so the opportunity is to be creative right now in what you're offering up as a solution. This is the moment for you to really think like out of the box. Think about the stuff that you have never asked before that you don't necessarily see at your um, employer. Because for those who are good at what they do, employers recognize that and I will remind you all, they have spent a lot of money to find you, train you, get you really doing what it is that you do well. And so to replace you is 50 to 200% of your salary. And the more senior you become, the more expensive it is, the closer it is to that 200%. And so being able to be creative and think kind of bigger picture with your colleagues with your department, that is a very different conversation than just you in your individual moment, right? And with your individual relationship with your manager.
2: Yeah, that's fantastic. That's a really good advice. Can you give me some examples of some interesting stories you've heard from women of how they've been able to uh, negotiate creative ways to, to work with their companies? And you've talked about job share as one example. What are some other out-of-the-box ways that we might ask for? I think there's some obvious ones, right? Taking Fridays off, doing a 7 to 3 p.m. shift, something like that. Uh, What are some other ideas you might inspire us with? It is interesting to see what some of the women who I interviewed did. Even before this
0: year, when remote work was was normal, there was definitely the opportunity to transition to remote in order to save time, right? Because they looked at that as not having to commute Mm -hmm. and, and how could you kind of refocus that commute time. And they looked at it as a chance to start working immediately. You know, so like I can be on call starting at this time if you don't make me go into the office. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an important thing to remember because not everybody who's remote right now is going to continue to be remote in a month. I shouldn't say in a month, but like in six months, in two years, like in whatever the case is. So being able to ask for remote in a variety of different ways is incredibly helpful I have definitely seen women in unusual—I I shouldn't say unusual—but in industries that you would not consider to be flexible—to hmm. make the request for flexibility. Hmm. So, for example, a woman who worked um, as the CFO for a um, for a hedge fund of all things. Wow, yeah. which is a pretty demanding kind of um, of industry and kind of role, and. Because she understood her value, what she brought to the table, what she really knew, not only did she scale back to a pretty limited schedule, she did not lose salary. Wow. And so I think that is the other thing really to understand, which is not just um, asking for your time to look different, it's understanding the value that you have. And just because you might be scaling back to 35 hours, does not mean that your salary needs to be scaled back Mm -hmm. by a percentage. Mm -hmm. And that is a really important thing for women to understand because there are lots of things that allow you to continue to work full time, right? So you have remote working, you have what is considered um, a split shift, which is like maybe you work from eight to Two and then you hop back again and you work from seven to ten. I mean, whatever it, it looks like, right? Maybe it's that you shift your schedule, like you mentioned. So it's like seven to three. Mm-hmm. So you can shift your schedule, you can do job share, you can do remote, you can literally go part-time, mm-hmm. right? Where you you scale back on your time. It is important to not have the salary discussion at the same time. So if I'm cutting back to 80%, you do not say, and I understand that you're going to cut back my salary to 80%. That's not how negotiations go. Because there could be a high likelihood that you are still making all kinds of things happen at 80%. And so you shouldn't have a 20% cut in your salary. Right. Maybe you shouldn't have a cut at all. Maybe you only have a 10% cut. Like, you have to be able to, to talk about how can you make this happen? Right. And that becomes part of your whole negotiation. I have also seen companies and, and and this obviously is based on input from employees where they have created almost more of like a matrix without them calling it. It was like a matrix. So here are the skills that you have. Here's how, the number of hours you want to work. Here are um, and here are the roles that you can have to do that. Right. So here's what you're looking for as far as flexibility. And so that way, like maybe you don't work in something where you've got to be on 24 seven, Mm -hmm. but you can have a lateral move and you can have a lot more flexibility, learn additional skills. And that way you work for 32 hours or that way you only work for 40 hours. Right. So I think that's the other part of it that it's not necessarily that you need to continue in exactly what it is that you've been doing. You can shift to something else
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: and it can still benefit you.
2: Yeah, I love that. There's so many good ideas for how to kind of take, Control over the work that you're doing, especially if it's work that you love, if it's a company that you love and one that you've been with for a long time, but it's just not working right now. Such great ways to engage with your manager, with your HR department, um, with, with all of the above, even um, <laughs> to to find ways to make it work for you. Because again, you know, many women are are happy in 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 parts of their job. They're happy and don't want to necessarily. Jump ship. So I really appreciate that you've shared those nuggets. And tell us quickly about your two books. We've got two books from you that we can learn a bunch more from. Tell us a little bit about each. Okay. So
0: the first one, which has a red cover, is Mom Powerment. And that is about the successful transition to a professional part time role. And then the second one, and I will say the first one has a ton of practical tips just in general for working smarter. Um, The second one is about general work-life balance for professional working mothers. So it's not about the transition. It gives you a lot of different ideas. Um, Both help you think through conversations about working smarter, about taking time for yourself. So they're both full of practical tips. The one with the red cover is more about part-time specifically though and they both include interviews with more than 110 professional working moms and my own research and my own experience so um, so there's a little bit of both in there mm-hmm. and it's mom empowerment and then the mom empowerment guide to work life balance
2: Fantastic. And then the really highly valuable Facebook group, tell us where to find it and, or I should say how to find it. It's on Facebook um, of which I am a member, a proud member. Tell us how to get to it. So it is MomPowerment. It's that simple. So it's facebook.com slash
0: groups slash MomPowerment. Um, awesome. I'm Mom powerment everywhere. Really like <laughs> that. That's my handle. It's easy. It, it was just once I had the name and it was trademarked, that was. I've just went everywhere with just that name. So yeah, and it works.
2: Me. It works because that's exactly <laughs> what we're looking for: is to be empowered as as mom and as women. And you're doing such a great job with that. This entire interview was so valuable. You gave us give us so many good things to think about and so many great ideas. So I really appreciate you, and uh, and I can't wait to hear the feedback from from listeners. I'm excited to engage with them in the Facebook group. So thank you, Miss Suzanne.
0: Thank you so much for having me. And I, I hope that this brings value and helps listeners think a little differently and actually feel empowered to take action.
2: so much for joining us on this episode of Fork in the Road podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to this as much as I enjoy recording it. And if you found any wisdom in our conversation today, please do us and your friends a favor by sharing this episode. Help us reach even more women by liking and reviewing this podcast wherever you found us. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.